in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The United States drew with Uruguay yesterday. Nil-nil. No score in 90 minutes in a friendly against Uruguay. But expected goals, Ed? Dominant. The United States was better than Uruguay. 1.2 to 0.7. Uruguay is the 13th ranked team in the world. We are going to win the World Cup. Oh, no. Here you go. You're already out in the, out in the front of this saying you're going to win the World Cup. You, get, you getting out of the group stage? Uh, 100%. Not That's even an automatic? a question at this point. Yeah, not even a question. We're, we're Danny winning, agrees. He's got we're the thumbs up. We might not lose the entire... We might not even give up a goal the entire World okay. Cup. All right. Why would, why would we give up a goal? We're dominant. Absolutely dominant. Last two games, the United States played Morocco and Uruguay. Beat Morocco 3-0. Drew with Uruguay. Uh, didn't give up a goal in either game. Morocco's like in the 25 to 30 range in FIFA world rankings. Uruguay's in the top 15. We're winning the World Cup. Where is the great United States of America in the FIFA world uh, rankings? Let's see. We're in the top 15, too. 15th. We are number one or number 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either number one or number 15. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Either one. Go with either one. I mean, we're going to win the World Cup, so we'll, we'll win it and still not be number one, but that's okay. We'll get the trophy. If they won the World Cup, how, what would you do? I don't know. Be excited. I don't know. Quit the show. Probably not, but <laughs> be pumped. I might. Do I have to come on the show if they win the World Cup? The day after. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we do three hours on soccer. You'd be breaking down everything from the the every uh, every half to everything they played. If they won the World Cup. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be here the next day and just not show up. No, be, you might be I'd passed be out somewhere yeah. drunk. If they're playing for the <laughs> I'd be title, in a parade somewhere. If they're playing for a title, <laughs> I expect you to do a live show on social media 10 minutes after the game. No chance. Zero <laughs> chance that's happening. If they're in the World Cup final, I'm not talking to any of you people. <laughs> Next question. Also in soccer, Wales qualified for the World Cup. They beat Ukraine 1-0 in the final World Cup qualifier. And... They enter the United States group. That is the first team the U.S. will play in the World Cup. They'll play Wales, then England, then Iran. Top two from that group advance to the round of 16 in the World Cup. Wales is a uh, top 30 team in the world. They're pretty good, but they're kind of their best players are a little bit older. Uh, United States is going to handle them with ease. Boy, no you problem are on with Wales. fire today about the uh, Americans. With ease. You know what's funny? Wales... Two best players are like 32 and 31, something like that. They have not they have not been in the World Cup in like 50 years. And like their two best players, they've had two other shots when they were, you know, in their early 20s and mid-20s. Couldn't make it. They finally made it when their best players are in their 30s. We're going to dominate. We're going to run them off the field. They'll like, probably forfeit and leave the World Cup early after we're done with them. I like that because, you know, obviously Ukraine and the... Uh... And the sympathy towards Ukraine and people wanting to win for that. I like Dan Wetzel's tweet. He said, if Wales win, it would be such a Wales thing to do. They can't just play along with the narrative. 
They've got to go. They've got to go beat poor Wales Ukraine. hasn't been in fifty something years. Good for Wales. But in Wales' defense, they won by an own goal. So. They did. Ukraine put it in their own net. Oh no! Yeah, boy, as if they didn't have you, enough. Ukraine was better problems. than Wales. Ukraine was the better team in that game, but could not score because Wales' goalie was excellent, and the only goal. Was that Wales goal? scored was an own goal, uh, but it yeah. wasn't a bad one. It was off of a free kick. From... Right, it, was, it wasn't like hilarious. That guy totally screwed up, but he did head it into his own goal, trying to clear it instead. <sighs> Man, you know that's a great question. The Colorado Avalanche took a three nothing lead on the Edmonton Oilers by winning Game Three, four to two in Edmonton. However, Nazem Kadri's out the rest of this series at least, according to Jared Bednar, after Evander Kane cross-checked him into the boards. Kane got a five-minute major for boarding and now a one-game suspension, uh, which could be the end of Edmonton's season if he does not in fact if they do not in fact win game four. Um, however, my question for you is, does it matter who comes out of the East or is Colorado winning the Stanley Cup? I think it matters if it's Tampa Bay. I just, these guys, like Ben Goat said, these guys tend to figure things out. I don't know. I just, I've said it, we said it from the beginning of the playoffs. Like, I don't bet against Tampa Bay until they are limited, until someone actually beats them. I don't think it matters. Avalanche I mean, winning Avalanche are bet. Avalanche are the best team. Yeah. They're beating either one in five games. Shut it down. It's Waste of six days, waste of eight days. That'd be. I think that might be nine. If they go to five. I think that might be nine days. They waste, waste. of nine days. Yeah, waste of nine days. Stanley Cup final going to be a nightmare for everybody except the Colorado Avalanche. We're going to dominate. I don't. I, I don't. I do not think it matters. The Avalanche, best team in the regular season. They have been excellent in the postseason as well. well they've been terrific. Their like underlying numbers are awesome. I. I think the Avalanche. I mean, hockey. I could tell you, hockey's dumb. So. Tampa Bay could win. Right. Random teams can walk in there and somehow win, but I I think Colorado's winning regardless of who it is. Right now, Colorado is minus 200 to win the Cup. Yeah. See. They they still got to win a game just to get there. Oilers are 40 to 1. I wouldn't. That'd be pretty stupid. Mike Smith's got to play well for four straight games just to get there. That's not happening. Great question. Thank you. Rafa Nadal won the French Open, 6-3-6-3-6-0 over Casper Ruud. It is the 14th time he's won the French Open. He lost just three sets over seven matches. And apparently, his foot was injured so badly that he just got anesthesia shots or something to numb it up so he could go play. When I first saw this, I said, why is this kid's foot asleep? <laughs> Like, I was like, I, I, they made it sound like his foot was just asleep. It fell asleep, like, during the match. I, mean, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was them numbing it up. I it thought, was why intentionally is this putting yeah, it to sleep. Like, why is this kid's foot asleep? Man, someone texted me um, way too early on Sunday morning. <laughs> this kid has won 14 times? Yeah. I mean, that, it's a preposterous number it's, that he's won a yeah. major 14 times. I know he's the greatest, right. he's the greatest player ever on clay, but it's like, okay, come on. 14, 14 times, times? is absurd. It's absurd. And- the fourteenth time, your foot doesn't work. How do, and you how win in straight you, sets? How do you run and yeah change position? Six like, love in the third change directions. How, how do you do that if your foot's? Asleep? I don't understand how that's like possible to do that at such a high level. And you're when your sliding on the clay, right? I don't, I don't understand. Know. Maybe it's easier because you slide a little bit more. On I the saw clay, fourteen. I and I just gave up. I'm like, <laughs> who wins a major fourteen times? I can barely walk around the house when my foot's asleep. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. This guy's winning the right. French Open. Mine falls asleep when I'm on the toilet, and I go, I'm like, I gotta sit here for a little bit while longer to wake it up. Shaking it up. Right. Shaking it up. Like I can't stand up right now. I'm gonna like break my ankle if I do that. And he's winning the French Open with his and did, did it on purpose. Was like, yeah. Yeah. Shoot me up. Just put it to sleep. I'll be fine. Like unbelievable from Rafa Nadal. Which that might be it for him in terms of playing and winning a French Open. I don't know. I don't, Next time, he might numb the second leg, That's right. Too. Numb both, yeah, both exactly. feet and be and, fine. And his right hand and left hands just numb everything. I mean, I just have to imagine he had to play. He had to numb his foot to play through this French Open. Surely that, that's got to be like, we're get, we're at the end of the road here for Rafa well, Nadal and dominating the French Open. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe you guys are right. Maybe just numb them both next year and he's numb the whole body and he's good to go. But it's incredible. That's a great, great question. Kevin Na resigned from the PGA Tour, 33rd ranked golfer in the world. He's joining that LIV Tour. Uh, His quote was, if I exercise my right to choose where and when I play golf, then I cannot remain a PGA Tour player without facing disciplinary proceedings and legal action from the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour has threatened to fine and suspend players that go and play in this LIV Tour. And Kevin Na basically just said, all right. I'll see you later, PGA Tour. I'm going to play anywhere else that I want to play. This is this is a fascinating power struggle in golf right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, Dustin Johnson, Poulter, Westwood, Ustazen, Garcia, um, I believe, are included in the field as well. And the field, and I think, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with it. I think the first tournament's a $25 million purse. Yeah. So that they're, says a lot. They're that all pretty a, up there. Yeah. yeah. Saudi's given the money. Nobody else has officially resigned from the PGA Tour, no, right? No, but they're going to... I. The, the fascinating things would be, like you said, let's say Dustin Johnson goes, doesn't resign from the PGA Tour, I want to see the discipline. There's going to be discipline. They've already told him you can't play on the weekends we play. So I don't know if that's a suspension for so many tournaments. I don't know what it is. They're going to they're gonna make a... I think they're going to make a stand, though. Like you said, I, there's a lot of contention here. I don't think it would just be a fine. These guys have too much money for that. So it would have to be some type of suspension. It's it's fascinating. Like individual sports, much different from team sports, right? Where you have, you don't have teams. You have just the tour leagues, essentially. And there can be competing leagues, but the PGA Tour, it's it's fascinating to have a power struggle of players basically telling the PGA Tour, you shouldn't have exclusive control over where I play golf. Right. If somebody's going to put up a $25 million Purse. purse for us to go play golf, we should have the right to do right. that. The players, if if enough, the players would win easily, right? If there were enough, oh, if enough players, walked away, you, and especially the top ones, if you started having the McElroys and the Johnsons and and all the top guys walk away, you'd be a PJ yeah. Tour. You might have to backtrack a little because you can't have those guys leaving your tour. But again, those are you know those are. I mean, Dustin Johnson's probably what he's the biggest name so far, right? I mean, this is the whole yeah. Phil thing, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. And Phil's actually not in this event. No, Phil hasn't played in a long time since yeah. he came out in that article and backed this uh, backed these uh, this tour. Yep. And but the good thing about this is there aren't many overlapping weekends because I think this season there's only eight events in the LIV tour. Okay. Well, you're putting up twenty five million a piece, even. <laughs> and it's only three days instead of four days. And oh, they also less do... work more it... money. Yeah. Oh man. It's fifty four. Yeah, it's fifty four holes. And they also have a uh, like a team aspect. Some of these tournaments are teams, 
and it rotates teams. It's not the same team every single tournament. And then at the very end of teams the of season, two? no teams of four. And then at the very end of the season, there's an individual payout and there's a team payout. They're just giving money away. Yeah, yeah listen, just less work away. and more money. PGA yep. Tour is done for. They got they don't have a chance. The only thing that's also on the PGA Tour side is that the European Tour is also kind of doing what PGA Tour is saying, where you can't do both. It's one or the other. Well, they'll pick the PGA over the European. Well, like no, I'm saying like, European and Oh, I was going to say, because a guy like McElroy and those guys would play in the U.S. before they played Europe if they had a choice because of the um, uh, the money. But, uh, I mean, Kevin Nas made $40 million. And that's not even sponsorships. That's just that's just his winning. So, you know, he probably feels pretty secure. From my vantage point, the only reason, if, you, if you've made plenty of money like Kevin Nas, has the only reason to be upset about leaving the PGA Tour is missing out on, like, the Masters and their on like, the majors, like the yeah, prestigious tournaments. Right, right, That's it. Right. But I don't know if that would matter. Versus, hey, I'm going to go in twenty five million dollars, no, exactly. right? Like for for one less day of work too. I I think that would outweigh whatever it would be. Next question. Last one for the front page. Lights FC lost to Colorado Springs three nothing on Friday. Lights have not won a game since April sixteenth. Seven games in that span. Four losses. Three draws. They have now fallen to 11th in the West out of 13 teams. And how many made playoffs? Eight. Eight. Ooh. It's still pretty tightly well, bunched. If they, the if they were to win like two or three in a row, they'd, they'd be right back right in back sixth up, yeah. or seventh or right. something like that. But they haven't won. They went an entire month without winning. We're 10 days away from them going two months without winning. I'm not, I'm not feeling good about them. Thought they might make the playoffs this year, but it's not trending in the right direction. No, it's going the wrong way. Not, not been good. You get you can't go almost two months without winning a game. Right. You got to at least win one in there. That's like what we've seen this team do forever is go month without winning a game, and now they're trying to make it two. All right, coming up next, we'll jump back into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Point Hedman across a speed. Pallant! Score! Pallant! Wow. Andre Pallant! Wow. On the touch pass from Kucherov! 3-2 winding with 41.6 seconds left in the third. A feed in front. Comes to Zibanejad. Lost it. It's cleared by Sorelli down the ice. This is not going to be an icing, I don't think. No. Time touchdown in game three. The Lightning win it. Three to two. And they are back in this series, baby. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. I love those. What does that guy sounded like when they won the cup? My goodness. <laughs> Passing out. Couldn't even speak. The, the 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 radio went blank because he had like fainted. My gosh. He's excited. That's great. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah, he's, he's the uh, voice of the team. Lightning avoided the 3-0 hole with that last minute goal from Andre Pilat, uh to beat the Rangers 3-2. Here's a question for you. Would blowing a 2-0 series lead in the conference finals be worse than blowing a 3-1 series lead against the Sharks in the first round? Given who they're playing, I might go Sharks. Really? Given who they're playing. Two-time defending cup champions. They figure, like Ben said, they tend to figure things out. They're that good. Where the Sharks 3-1 was, that was horrible. That was terrible. I, I would go... I think I go blowing the 2-0 lead in the conference finals simply because the Rangers are they're, they're two wins away from the Stanley Cup. Right? When, when Gerard Gallant blew and the Golden Knights blew the 3-1 lead, that was in the first round. 
Right. Like, they were one win away from getting to round two. There was still a lot of steps to get to the Stanley Cup final. The Rangers here, they win two games. They're in the Stanley Cup final. Whereas if they blow this, then you're looking around saying, what the hell? How'd we blow that and end up again? So I think I lean towards if they, if Gerard Gallant ended up blowing this series, that it would be worse than what he did with uh, the Golden Knights in round one against San Jose. But that's a pretty blow, pretty brutal blown series up 3-1 against the Sharks. And then to lose not only game five, but also game six at home in double overtime. Right. And then game seven when you're up by three goals in the third period and you give up four on one power play. Not a deal. I remember well, double overtime. Well, do you now? <laughs> well, actually, I'll put it this way. The context in which they blow this series will be important to me, right? They give up a last second goal to a, in game three. That's pretty bad. But the, the context of game seven where they didn't just lose game. It's not like San Jose beat them five to one in game no, seven. No, they blew game they seven. They blew game too. seven big time. So it's like they blew the series, and on top of that, blew game seven blew, in yeah. one of the most massive ways we've ever seen. If Tampa Bay just outplays them in the next three and beats them, you know, five to one a few times, then yeah, you blew a series, but it'll feel like oh, the better team won. That Shark series, you look back, it does not feel no. like the better team no. won that series. Because it didn't. And the Sharks ended up firing their coach like six months later. Golden Knights just were about a year behind on that schedule there, or a, a month, couple months behind there on that schedule. So that's uh, Gerard Gallant. Can't, can't be blowing series over here. I mean, I hope he doesn't. I think he is. I think Tampa's coming back <sighs> to win this series. Won't surprise us. There, if you just look at five on five, Tampa's dominant in expected goals in Corsi. They're over 60%. The problem has been the Rangers have gotten a ton of power plays. Power play goals. And that's been the issue. If the special teams normalizes over the rest of the series where either they're getting the same amount of power play opportunities or the actual goals scored during those power plays are normal, I think Tampa wins the series because they have been much, much better at 5-on-5 five five than New York over the course of the series. So I think Tampa comes back to win this. I won't be surprised at all. Yeah, which I think is what happens. Which, by the way, have you seen the stat? There's one that's fascinating to me. Have you seen the stat on Andre Vasilevsky and people shooting? This is high blocker. <laughs> Man, this is going deep. Well, okay. So this, this is going deep. He has allowed 18 goals that have been shot high blocker. And his save percentage on shots towards the high blocker is 809, which in the postseason, there are 17 qualified goalies. By the way, all this from Mike Kelly. 17 qualified goalies. He ranks 16th in save percentage on high blocker shots. And when teams pass it through the seam mm-hmm. to get a shot at the high blocker, his save percentage is 588. So if you get a pass through the seam and shoot high blocker, you're scoring like 50% of the time, right. which is insanity. Like shootouts are like 30% of the time. This is almost 50% of the time you're scoring. That there's like a crazy leak in Andre Vasilevsky, who has been a dominant postseason goalie for two seasons now, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we figured the one spot to shoot on this guy, and we're gonna win. It that is one thing that's interesting to me that comes into like, and I don't feel like we get those stats very often. We uh, don't. I don't think we get high blocker stats right. very often at all. We don't get like shot location stats very much in hockey coverage. You'll see it every now and then people will go into pretty good breakdowns. Mike Kelly's doing it here, but I don't feel like we get that. Like, like I feel like when I watch baseball 
we see a lot of times like, oh, you still see the strike zone with the hot and cold zones. It's like, oh, this guy can't hit when the ball is down and away, right? Like, I feel like we get similar stats to that in other sports, but in hockey, it exists, obviously, but I don't feel like we get it enough. Like, where's Robin Leonard's weakness to shoot at? I couldn't tell you because I don't feel like I've ever seen that stat presented about Robin Leonard. I don't know. Where is his weak spot or where is he great at? I don't have a clue. Because it's not a stat we see on a regular basis. I don't even know where Mike Kelly gets these. Near the but... knee or the shoulder? <laughs> yeah, probably. No, he's he's good at that because that's how he got hurt. He got hit in the knee and the shoulder. <laughs> he keeps too blocking him. Right. He gets he gets hit there. No problem at all. So I sport logic, by the way, is where those stats actually came from, which is interesting to see. But I I I want more of that because I want to be paying more attention to oh, teams are shooting high. Robin Leonard because he's bad there or something right. or he's great there. Why are teams shooting high glove on Leonard or vice versa when the Golden Knights can't score and it's like, oh, well, this goalie was number two in the league at high blocker saves. Why the hell are they shooting high, blocker? high blocker? Right. I, I, I want more of that. It's it's a fun stat. It's good to break this down. Is, this is a deep dive, by the way. It is. What's this great, is a huge though. deep dive. Yeah, but it's phenomenal because. I, I'll be honest. I don't know if the Rangers have been asked about it. I don't know if they've been asked, "Hey, are they, you targeting they, that?" I mean, essentially, with their if the if the stats are out like this, then they know. Yeah, but like obviously, I'd, right? But I'd I'd love the I'd love the breakdown of like, hey, like the rest of this series, right? I would love the breakdown of hey, Andre Vasilevsky got better or whatever. Like he stopped giving up goals, high blocker. He fixed whatever mechanical issue or he was more ready for those types of shots. Or I'd love the stat of the Rangers are going to the Stanley cup final because they just kept shooting high blocker and Vasilevsky and never made the it. adjustment. I would love that for that to be sort of like a narrative the rest of the way, because that's, that's like good analysis. The amount of times I come on here and tell you hockey is dumb, right? This is the opposite of that. This is a team <laughs> targeting a player's weakness and going after it over and over. And we'll see if that guy adjusts it's the Gerard Gallant scouts. Yeah. I don't know. Is it him? He probably he probably didn't come up with that. Nah, his scouts probably. Did. Someone came out. You know they know about. They it. They didn't even tell Gerard. Go on. You know he they know about. Know. It. He doesn't know about it. No, no, he has no clue. Mike Kelly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mike. Somebody <laughs> else on that staff was like, "Hey, this guy can't save it if we shoot a high blocker." <laughs> Don't tell Gerard. He doesn't care. But just shoot high blocker, guys. And Gerard's like, "Oh, great. We're scoring a lot of goals on this Vasilevsky guy. It'll be phenomenal." Because re- remember, how many times have the Golden Knights been eliminated from the postseason? And we've heard Gallant and DeBoer. Say ran into a hot goalie, right? Yep. All the time. But like, if we knew every goalie's like hot and cold zones, if it was like, oh, this well, then guy you can't use that excuse, right? Mostly, then you'd be like, oh, well, like, well, why didn't you shoot where he can't right. save the puck? This guy, high glove, is yeah. you know below average, and you guys took six shots the entire series, high glove. Why didn't you do more of that? Right, right. I would love that because that's a lot more analysis and a lot. It's it's smarter breakdowns of hockey than just me telling you it's dumb because they can't and shoot. And meatbags? Right, and meatbags. Yeah, they're still meatbags, but Vasilevsky's like... Vasilevsky's he's a meatbag with, no, meat meat with a no blocker. Yeah, he's got a hole up there in his blocker, uh, in his meat bag up there. So I, I would love more of that because that would give you a better idea. And also, maybe hey, the Golden Knights know this goalie sucks high blocker. They just can't shoot it there because they're not good enough. <laughs> I mean, that might be, that might be, it's hard to shoot a hockey puck. So that might be the answer. It's like, yeah, we know he sucks there. We just can't get it there. We're not good enough to shoot. I would love to know that. Coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas.
Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. How are you today? Hey, Sam. What's up, fellas? Happy Monday. Doing well. How you guys doing? Good, good. good. All right, important question for you. Does Asia Wilson deserve more respect from the referees? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. It's, and it's not, I, I, dare I say, Tyler, I'm not necessarily surprised she doesn't get it. Players like her are really hard to officiate. officiate. We see it on the men's side, too. Some of the more physical players who go to the basket a lot also don't get a ton of calls. And she has played a style, a physical brand of basketball that is conducive to getting to the free throw line since the day she came to the WNBA. She led the league in free throw attempts her rookie season. It's actually been you know down, relatively speaking, um, since then. I don't think her style of play has changed particularly. So, yeah, I, I mean, when you see the way she's officiated um, yesterday, some of those calls definitely questionable. Uh, you know, uh, allowing her to foul out or preceding her fouling out. And, and quite frankly, I think, you know, she should be on the um, the receiving end of some of those calls. But that that's the game. That's that's basketball. And you see what Becky Hamm is doing, you know, um, in her post-game press conference, putting putting pressure on the officials. So I would expect them um, to, to respond accordingly because that's usually how these things go. I wouldn't be surprised if she has a big free throw outing uh, next game out and is officiated a little bit more favorably. Um, the next couple games because, you know, there is pressure being put on the league and, you know, including by Asia herself after, you know, with the tweet yesterday. So um, I, d- I definitely understand where she's coming from. And some of those calls are, are really, really tough, but yet the Aces find a way to get it done at home against Dallas um, regardless. Yeah. What'd you think of yesterday? Um, you saw what Plum did and Chelsea Gray played, had 18 over 32 minutes after being knocked out the uh, previous game. Um, your thoughts on them getting to 10 and two. Yeah, I'm not not surprised per se. I mean, this this team has a ton of firepower. You have a, a starting lineup, um, you know, when everybody's healthy. That, in, you know, in my opinion, should all be all stars. You know, five all stars, and quite frankly, is everybody should be in consideration for the U.S. national team um, this fall. That's how good um, this starting lineup is. And, and when you have Asia Wilson, you know, dealing with foul trouble without Jackie Young, you still have a couple Olympians um, in Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray. I thought. I think Chelsea Gray is so good with tempo and pace and understanding when she needs to score and when she needs to get everybody involved. And then speaking with Kelsey Plum, she's just, I mean, she's having a career year. I mean, what else is there to say? She's been absolutely fantastic throughout the course of the year. Explosive scorer. Um, her speed is such a, such a factor for other teams to deal with. Of course, we know about um, the shooting and just playing more free uh, under Becky Hammond. So not, not surprised to see her take over um, the way, the way she, she, she did last night or yesterday afternoon. Um, we know she's not short on confidence uh, and one of the most confident players in the league and finally in a situation where she's being empowered to play the kind of style of basketball um, she wants to play. So I thought it was an impressive victory against a, an improved Dallas. Um, but, but it, it, you know, you see, and it's something we've talked about, guys, you know, throughout the course of the season so far, um, but just a lack of depth, you know, coming to play again where, where it takes 40 minutes uh, for Kelsey Plum to, to hold off Dallas. That was my one concern, you know, made this hot start. Uh, you know the starting lineup is going to be good, and if a majority of those starters are even healthy, this team's not going to have any problem um, during the regular season. But we're at the point now when you take a look at the roster where it's not just about the regular season anymore. You've got to be thinking big picture in terms of championship. Does this team you know, have uh, enough uh, to, to win the championship? I, I still think they do, but if they don't, you know, the bench um, could be a factor because you know, you're not getting any production out of the reserves whatsoever. The starters are playing heavy minutes, and will that take its toll towards the end of the season. Again, it's something definitely worth worth monitoring at this point, but but the 10-2 start isn't a surprise at all. Becky Hamm is doing an amazing job, uh, and we know about the firepower that this team has in the starting lineup. Kelsey Plum going to win the MVP? 
I mean, she might. She might. She's having an unbelievable year. Definitely in, um, definitely in, in consideration. I would say, um, and certainly for for other accolades like All Stars and All WNBA. But uh, I think when you when you take a look at this team, I, I just I, I think Asia Wilson is just it, based on you know the way they play and the style of basketball they play on both ends. She's clearly the most valuable player um, to what they do, and that's something Becky Hammond has, has reiterated multiple times, even saying again yesterday what they start and do uh, on offense and defense. Um, it starts with Asia, and and you know defensively. Uh, even again, yesterday not her finest performance, of course, but defensively she has so much responsibility um, in their system as the only rim, real rim protector on the roster. So much ground to cover, and, and what she's able to do um, defensively uh, really sets the tone for what they're able to do on offense as well. And you have somebody that's been an MVP that doesn't demand a ton of shots, um, that that plays team basketball, that plays within the structure of the offense, and still gets hers more often than not. Uh, I just think what she does on both ends. Is so invaluable, but that's that's the thing about this Aces team is when you have um, players as good as Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray and, and Jackie Young, the way she was playing, they're going to be compelling. Um, they're going to be compelling cases for a lot of different players, and you know that's not to disrespect any of them. I, I just think you know Asia Wilson. It, the, the system revolves around what she's able um, to do on both ends, and and her strengths uh, allow everybody to play to their strengths um, in a way that that's, that 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 obviously has resulted in an incredible start. Have you changed your mind on which side of the coin you go with Golden State and Boston because of what happened the first two games? I have not. I have not. Um, I still like the Celtics in six, and I'm not surprised by Golden State's response yesterday. It was more or less a must-win game. Um, you know, I, I got you know got the sense that we were going to get their best effort, and they really um, defensively set a tone, uh, especially there in the third quarter. Of course, that's where things obviously changed, but there was a defensive identity that they played with that I don't think they played with um, in game one. And that, of course, starts with Draymond Green. And, you know, a lot of that stuff revolves around the, the you know, the extracurriculars. But, hey, he's a veteran. He's savvy. He knows what he, can, what, what he can and can't get away with when it comes to the officiating and the physicality and just intensity um, that he played with yesterday, even though it doesn't necessarily reflect in the, in the, box, in the box score, um, I think really, really changed uh, the dynamic of the game and really got Boston out of their element um, after a really, really strong start. So, now things shift. Go back to the Garden. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure each team will have an adjustment or two, uh, being that the stakes are what they are, 1-1 going into game three. But when I take a look at the Celtics team, uh, I, I just think what they do is slightly more tenable, slightly more sustainable um, over the course of the series. It's been an unbelievable series so far. I think I think it's the right matchup. We've gotten two, two excellent teams. Uh, and that's not to write off Golden State by any means, but, um, I, I don't, I'm not taking too much away from, from Boston's big loss last night. They, got, they did what they had to do. They got one on the road. Now let's see if they can, they can come home and protect their home court. But I, I do think this is going to be a long series. I still like the Celtics coming out on the other side. What do they need to do to prevent the Steph Curry hot quarter that we've now seen three times in this series? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think you just got to mix up your looks and give them different coverages. You know, maybe some traps when he's coming off ball screens or ball screen defense at times. Has been has been weird where you know you're getting some drop coverage, you're getting different. You know he's allowed to step in um, to to different you know to different wide open looks when we're talking about in the half court, and then you know just cut down on the live ball turnovers. I mean the Celtics, and it's a credit to Golden State for for playing the passing lanes and playing excellent team defense and forcing careless passes. But live ball turnovers against the Warriors are more dangerous than than any other team because of you know their three point shooting, their pace, and everything com- that comes with that. And you know you couple turnovers a layup, a three-pointer, then you got the crowd rocking and, and whatnot, and that's really, really hard um, in San Francisco to, to, to overcome. That's not to say it can't be done. The Celtics did it you know, in game one, but it, you're asking a lot uh, for a team to do that on the road you know, time and time again when Steph Curry is playing. 
So, uh, you know, keep the ball out of his hands. Uh, you know, take care of it uh, on the other end. No live ball turnovers and, and value possessions. When, when, when Boston's offense got sticky, um, Golden State's offense really, really, you know, sparked it, uh, was able to kind of build off that and, you know, spark their crowd and whatnot. And it, it just got ugly. So if they take care of the ball and continue to mix up their looks, and I always, you know, somebody has to stay attached to them at all times. This is Warriors. You can't make mental mistakes uh, against Steph Curry because you, 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 you're off by a half a second, and that's a three for him or somebody else. We saw that play out last night. So they have to be super disciplined um, in what they're doing conceptually on both ends of the floor. Were you surprised at how they shut down their role players, though? Smart two points, Horford two, Williams two, Grant Williams six, two of two shooting, and their inability inside to convert. Yeah, you know the inability aside, Ed, was, was was huge. Uh, I was uh, that was something that was definitely surprising. I, I know Al Horford um, is thirty six years old. And I know he's been unbelievable in this postseason. Don't want to take any anything away from him, but he was the biggest guy on the floor yesterday for long stretches and a couple sequences where he got an offensive rebound and wouldn't go power back up. I mean, wasn't finishing around the basket. Had Curry on him on switches, you know, multiple times, and, and they couldn't punish him. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he's got to be. You know, prime Shaquille O'Neal or anything like that, but those are matchups when you, when you get the when you get the six ten guy with the ball near the basket and there's nobody bigger than six eight on the opposing team. Those are possessions you're supposed to score on or at least get really good offense. They just missed too many shots around the rim. I thought the role players, you know, got a little discombobulated um, at time by the crowd, and, and they should feel uh, a little bit more comfortable going home in the friendly confines of TD Garden. So uh, it was an excellent it was an excellent effort by Golden State, and, and really I thought they coaxed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown into playing, um, you know, a lot of isolation, you know, a lot of a kind of one-on-five hero ball kind of basketball. And, and that works when the shots are falling, but they weren't falling yesterday. The ball wasn't moving. It was getting sticky, and it, it just was a total, uh, I guess, abomination um, there starting in that third quarter. So if Boston gets back to moving the ball, playing team basketball, playing the style of basketball they were playing, in, for, you know, in the first half yesterday and for majority game one, um, they should be fine. Uh, offensively, but it's a, it's a testament to Golden State again. A game plan to you know to coach those the, the Boston Stars in in hunting their own offense, and you know Jason Tatum got his stats, but the efficiency wasn't there, and it wasn't there for Jalen Brown either. And when those guys uh, don't have it going, and the role players don't have it going, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get blown off the floor. Well, he is Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Any anytime, guys. Talk soon. Thank you. So there is Sam Gordon uh, a little bit on the Aces and the NBA Finals. Coming up next, we'll get Ed Graney's expert opinion from covering the Aces win yesterday. Back in the hands and play saw. She tips it out to Gray. Reset for the Aces. Gray penetrates down the lane. Off the glass. Chelsea Gray score the bucket. 72-65. In the corner to play Sons. To Plum at the top of the key. Plum's going to let one fly. Boom! Shaka-laka-laka-boom! Ball game! We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. We've gotten the most excited play-by-play announcers. That's TC Martin. Very pumped yesterday. Um, you covered the Aces win over the Dallas Wings. What do you yes. think? Are you, are you... I want to get to something uh, okay. you asked, Sam, about the officiating. All right, let's okay. go. So, Becky Hammond, after the game, said that Asia Wilson deserves a better whistle, right? Um but I always find it funny when the insinuation is because, and she said she's a former MVP, that the former MVP deserves a better whistle because she was a former MVP. So my question that would be, let's say they're in the Western Conference Finals against Phoenix, and Kelsey Plum in a tie game drives to the basket, and is it's a questionable call, but they don't call a foul on Diana Taurasi, right? 
She maybe fouls her. She doesn't foul her. After the game is Becky Hammond saying, well, we shouldn't have got that call because Diana Taurasi is one of the best players who ever lived. Probably not. No. So I did, that's a, it always it always interests me when they say, well, she deserves the call because she's an MVP. But if you flip the script, I'd love to know what you had to say. Because they're, they're going on the one where, it was, you know, she thought she had a block. I guess he said she hit her at the body because the block looked kind of clean from where we were sitting. We we're, you know, half court and it was down at one end. But I just I wanted to say that because I just I think I think it's funny sometimes, you know, kind of the explanations afterwards of who deserves calls and who doesn't. So, and why why doesn't the girl who went up for the basket deserve the call if she got fouled? So here's a fun stat for you. This season, uh Asia Wilson is uh second in the WNBA in free throw attempts. Uh, only Liz Cambage has taken more. She's taken two more. And over the last three seasons, Asia Wilson leads the WNBA in free throws. Yeah, so she gets to the line. Asia Wilson is not a player who has been struggling to get calls in the <laughs> WNBA. She has been getting calls since she walked into the league. Right. She fouled out last year or last night. Yeah, right? fouled out. About Which is the left. big shoe for Becky Hammond. Right. I think she's what Becky Hammond, I think, is trying to say is Asia Wilson should not be fouling out. She's saying the referee should not be fouling Asia Wilson out of the game, which is ridiculous. Because it's Asia Wilson. Yeah, if Asia Wilson commits six fouls, she then should she fouls be out. fouled out of the game. And I also think her last foul was they got called for an offensive foul. Yeah. I also think Becky Hammond, to an extent, is saying she should not be getting called for her fifth foul or sixth foul on an offensive foul, which is also ridiculous. Like, two games in a row now, Becky Hammond has complained about the referees. Mm -hmm. She did two games ago when they lost their second game to the wing. She like tried to blame the refs for there being two injuries in that game, which was against the sun. Yeah. Which was ridiculous because both injuries were girls rolling their ankles. Like Chelsea gray rolled her ankle and tripped and then hit her face on the way down on the offensive player. If the refs didn't miss a call that led to an injury, Chelsea gray tripped and rolled her ankle and had an unfortunate fall. Right. Nothing the rest did in that one. But two games in a row, Becky Hammond complaining about the referees, which coaches are going to complain about the referees. It's fine. But it's like they probably get, what are they shooting? They're shooting the third most free throws in the league of any team. Like this isn't a team that's out here not getting free throws. Asia Wilson's not a player that's not getting free throws. This is a team that's been given a lot of free throws this season and over the last three or four years. It's like if you're, you're the wrong team to be complaining about free throws. Here's a comparison for you. The Aces are shooting 22 a game. The Seattle Storm are getting 14 free throw attempts per game. They might be the ones that need to complain. Yeah, a maybe they about need to complain a little more about getting, the refs. Getting more of a whistle there. So, yeah, it's fine. But let's be real. Let's be honest here. It's not that big of a deal. You would love the absolute loons who sit in the front row at Aces games and scream at referees. And Darren Waller? No, he not, not on the court. <laughs> the front row right behind the media. It's the same people every time. They are, I've never heard fans like this. I mean, they are in it from the beginning, which I guess, you know, people say, yeah, it's great, they're fans. But the stuff they scream out at the opposing team and the craziness against the refs, and they have those sticks that they pound together, which are really nice when you're sitting right in front of them, and they pound these things every game. They, They keep such close track that one of them yesterday leaned over during a timeout and asked Chet Buchanan, who's the uh, in-house um, uh, announcer, Chet says they have four team fouls. I'm counting five. <laughs> and Chet says offensive cows do not count as team fouls. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. They're literally they're literally keeping track of team fouls. I love this. These are yes. the best fans yes. ever. I, um, but then phenomenal. against the Sun, 
I wasn't there, but I was relayed the information to where when the Sun player got hurt, ah, it's not an injury. Get up. Oh, Get up. Oh, no. Get up. And then when Jackie Young gets hurt, he's screaming, that's a real injury. <laughs> so you should come to a game just to sit there and listen to these people. And well, it's only like five of them. Well, I've been to games as fans, but I need to come cover them. So I'm, you need to so cover right and in sit front of these right fans. in front of these people and listen to what they say. Right. Maybe I You'd should buy tickets to go sit with them. And I'll also yell. <laughs> I'll be like, Chet, what's the f- you got the fouls wrong up there. I'm going to turn around and it's going to be you banging those That's things right. in my ear. like That's those right. two, uh I'll be heckling you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna need you to report how many fans are coming in with scorebooks now to, to keep just track, track I everything. Was I mean, in a weird sort of way, I was pretty impressed. Oh, phenomenal! That they're keeping yeah. team fouls and that they thought Chet had not put. I don't think he runs the scoreboard. He, they I just don't think he does. They, I don't think he runs the scoreboard. <laughs> I mean, Chet does a lot of things. He does a great job, but I don't know if he's announcing and running the scoreboard. <laughs> but he had the answer right around right away about offensive fouls not being team fouls. And Chet, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, it's four. It's four team fouls. Something that's fascinating to me about aces. If you go to buy tickets, so went to a game couple weekends ago with my dad and when you go to buy single game tickets if you at the window no 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 online okay if you buy them in the lower section on the sidelines right they've got some seats behind the baskets that look like terrible seats would never buy tickets there but if you buy them on the sideline in the front row it's a hundred bucks but if you buy them in the second section there's a very small sort of upper deck in mandalay bay's arena they're ten dollars a hundred dollars right i and like there's a $10 option, and that's what we got, and that was, that was great. It was a, right. It's pretty cheap to buy a $10 ticket, and it's a small arena, so they're, they're still great seats. Like, you're not far away. But I was like, really? The discre- to sit on the side, you can buy like $30 or $40 tickets behind the basket. But again, those look terrible. I to sit on the side. Them. But if you're sitting on the sideline, your price options are 100 or 10 And I was like, there's got to be like a different option between 100 and 10 and there wasn't. No, that was it. I'd love to know what the five people behind me paid for. They're season ticket holders. They're at every game. I have game. to be, yeah. They're at I'm, every game. I'm guessing season tickets they've got a per-game deal is cheaper than a hundred right, per right. ticket. But I was I was kind of like, wow, that is that is a massive dis- – like, those are your two options. There's no 30 or 40 in between. No, the 30 or 40 is the ones behind the basket. You can pay okay. 30 or 40 bucks and sit there. But if you want to sit on the sideline, which I'm not going to pay 30 bucks to sit behind a basket – it's a hundred. Well, you're not going to pay a hundred to sit on the uh, side. Yeah, I was either. like, oh, I'm not paying a hundred bucks for this either. Jesus, but I mean, ten dollars is great. It's a, that's a cheap price. But I was like, we can't sit a little bit closer for like thirty five dollars. But no, hundred or ten.